Tonight we're going to talk continuation of last time as we talked about the Bible as God's revelation inspired by God. That's why we let it drive us and we let it um, be shaping our thoughts and our teaching and our preaching. And last time we stressed a couple of passages. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 2 Peter 1. I wanted to begin with these real briefly, but in 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, beginning with verse 14 in the New American Standard, the text says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Scripture is sufficient to lead us into God's way. Another passage that we used last time uh, is 2 Peter 2, excuse me, 2 Peter 1, 2 Peter 1, we read verses 16 through 21, a less particularly read of verses 20 and 21. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the will, by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Philo was a Jewish writer uh, who uh, lived in about the same time of Christ. He lived from about 30 uh, B.C. to about 50 A.D. Now he lived in Egypt. He didn't know Christ. Uh, but he had, uh, he was looking at the Jewish scriptures. And he would talk constantly about the message that the prophets gave was not their own. And the word he uses for one's own, the word that Philo used for one's own, is the same word Peter uses for one's own in verse 20. And the point is, when he was saying prophecy was from God, it wasn't the prophet's work. He used the same kind of words that Peter used. No prophecy of Scripture is of one's own interpretation. The prophet wasn't just giving his ideas, his words, and his thoughts. No, in verse 21 it said negatively, no prophecy was made by an act of human will. Wasn't that? Instead, in verse 21, it was men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
We didn't get to deal with everything in 2 Peter 1 that I was hoping last time. I don't remember what all we did. But one of the points, that word that's used for moved in 2 Peter 1 and verse 21 was used in Acts 27 when they were going aboard the ship to Rome where they hoped to be driven by the wind. These prophets of God were driven by God's Spirit. Now, what we want to do tonight is we emphasize those passages stating that Scripture is from God. We want to see how did Jesus view Scripture. We ask the question, rightly so, what would Jesus do? How did Jesus teach this? How did Jesus view that? But what was Jesus' view of Scripture? And we can prove this by looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we hope to do that and make some clear points. Uh, And if you have questions or ideas, you know, feel free to express them as we go along. But but let's let's look at how Jesus viewed scripture. I invite you to turn first of all to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. Some of these will be passages that we have recently dealt with in our Sunday morning lessons. Uh, some of them will be ones that we're willing we will deal with in near future, but one thing about Jesus and his view of Scripture is he viewed the Scripture as the Word of God. It is God's Word. It is God's revelation. In Matthew 15, The scribes and Pharisees are coming from Jerusalem. And in verse 2, they ask Jesus, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said, Why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? The commandment of God. This is not just man's word. This is God's word. Why do you forsake that for the sake of your tradition? In verse 4, for God said, God said, honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have, that that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father and mother. And this, by this, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now, in this passage, in Matthew 15... Jesus talked about God's commandment in verse 3. He talked about God's commandment. Then in verse 4, He says, God said. In verse 4, God said. And when He says that God said, 
He quotes from two Old Testament passages. He quotes from Exodus 20 and verse 12. Honor your father and mother. And he quotes from also um, Exodus 21 verse 17. He who does evil to father or mother is to die the death. But God said this. And then when he comes to verse 6, he says you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. The passage that he is referring to are these passages in Exodus 20 and Exodus 21. But he refers to this as God's commandment, as what God said. He refers to this as the word of God. In this context, he shows that the things that are written in Scripture were not just man's opinion, but they were God's revelation. They were God's revelation. Look at Matthew 19. Matthew 19. We could look at this from several different perspectives. But particularly look at verses 4 and 5. He answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Have you not read? And then he quotes from Genesis 2 in verse 24. But when he's quoting from Genesis 2, 24, he says that the same one who created man and woman, the same one who created them, is the one who said this. Just as surely as God created Adam and Eve, so in verses 4 and 5, he is the one who said, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. One more example. One more example in 22. 22 and verse 31. And this is a dispute with the Sadducees about the resurrection. A passage that Lord willing we want to look at in the near future. And in 21 and 22, regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Now verse 32, a quote from Exodus 3 verse 6. Have you not read what was spoken to you, what was spoken to you by God? Now, I'm not saying that none of you have ever heard that before. that you would have any disagreement with those passions. But isn't it powerful to think about the fact that these words that we have 
are not our words. They're not the prophet's words. They're not Paul's words. They're ultimately God's words. And I'm not saying the Bible minimizes human authorship because the Bible all says Moses said this or David said this. But the key point is the Lord said this. The Lord said this. And that is profound. And therefore, this surpasses anything that we have to offer. You can take the most educated person and the most wise person. What they say cannot match what the infinite God says. Have you noticed too? As we go through Matthew, Jesus will say, Have you not read it? He said it right here in Matthew 22, verse 31. Have you not read? The problem wasn't that we're looking too closely at Scripture. The problem was they weren't looking closely enough at it. They weren't reflecting deeply enough on it and its implications. And what it taught them about God and what it taught them about the Messiah and what it taught them about themselves that they weren't they weren't seeing it. Now, I just suppose that our culture is no more biblical than theirs. Have we not read? Have you not read? Jesus might say in looking at some things in our world. What do you have there? What questions do you have? What thoughts? Anything? So we haven't smoked out anybody who doesn't believe this yet. Okay, okay. I was I was thinking we probably would. But he viewed scripture as the word of God. Now, I know that what I have to say, and it might come through some parts you have questions about right here. We may have to um, state this in a clear way. Um, but he viewed Scripture as authoritative. Now, I want to give you two verses to mainly back up this point. And I recognize that, that we have to make some kind of qualification with this when we think about the relationship between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Uh, and I want to look for maybe a, bit, a better way to say it. But I, I'm not backing off of what I'm saying here. The Old Testament, the, the Scripture as a whole is authoritative. Now the two passages that we want to look at the first one is in John 10. In John 10. And Lord willing, we'll meet on Tuesday night in Psalm 86. Psalm 86. And uh, some of you know that recently we dealt with Psalm 82. And the use of Psalm 82 in John 10. 
Uh, in John 10, 30-36, Jesus has been accused of blasphemy because he said, I and the Father are one. Uh, they seek to uh, stone him. Jesus says, I've done many good works for which of those are you stoning me? And they said, it's not for a good work, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. But in verse 34, Jesus answered, Has it not been written in your law, I said, you are gods? So that is a quote from Psalm 82 verse 6. He said, has it not been written in your law? And he said, if he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. Now that's the phrase I wanted to focus on most of all. Our point tonight is not mainly to focus on Psalm 82, or what is the fulfillment of Psalm 82, but that statement in 10 verse 35, the scripture cannot be broken. This particular word broken is a word translated loose in uh, Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It means to loose. It is often used, for example, do you remember in the Gospels when Jesus tells the disciples the triumphal entry, go into the city of Jerusalem and you will find uh, a colt and untie the colt? This particular word for loose is the word used for untie. To untie something, to loose it. Uh, to free it of its restraints, to free the, the cold from its restraints, to untie it, to loose it. But the opposite is true of Scripture. Scripture cannot be loosed. Scripture cannot be untied. Scripture, as it's translated here, cannot be broken. It cannot be broken. What Jesus is saying is that Scripture says it. It's true. It's authoritative. It was true. It always is true. It reveals truth to us. Now another passage along that line is Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Does anyone want to read 17 through 20? We'll focus particularly on 17 through 18. Sarah, go ahead. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, very good, very good. Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I can understand how some people thought that was true of Jesus. Because he was doing things, he was saying things that don't follow the way that people were teaching that day. They don't follow the standards that people were practicing that day. And Jesus was revolutionary in his view of the Sabbath. Not so much because it was something that God hadn't said, but just because they, they had failed to see what God said. Amen. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, in, in that day, their representation of the law of the prophets might be what they heard by the rabbis. And in, in the same way today, you know, it's the same way today, what somebody's impression of the Bible is, is often shaped and molded by, you know, what they've heard. And I've heard people, you know, sometimes, sometimes question things that are basic biblical teaching, well, that's not exactly what I heard. And so, so we understand how that happened. And some people might attribute to Jesus paying fast and loose attention to Scripture. And Jesus is saying that's not the purpose. I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. Instead, I've, came, I've come to fulfill them. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But he said, uh, until heaven and earth pass away. And heaven and earth are sometimes given as the picture of all that is stable and reliable. Until heaven and earth pass away. Not the smallest letter or stroke will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now when he says the smallest letter, if you had the old King James, the old King James I think here uses the word jot. Jot. And it's the word, and it's just a, uh, it is a reference to a Hebrew letter, yod. Yod looks a lot like an apostrophe in our language. And this is a letter. It is uh, sometimes um, they, the, the uh, Hebrew language doesn't really have a strong J sound, uh, but this would have been the closest thing to it. Therefore, the translation, the old King James, it's usually uh, translated for the Y and usually said Yod today. Yod. But, but the point is, in the Hebrew language, in the Old Testament, I've got an exact number here that one person uh, looked up. That in the Hebrew language, there is in the Old Testament 66,000, um, and he has an exact specific, but I can't find it in my notes. 66,000, yes, here it is 66,420 yodes in the Old Testament. 66,420. Doesn't it seem like we could do without one of them. The Bible says, Jesus says, until heaven and earth pass, 
not the smallest letter, not the yod, or the stroke, shall pass from the law until it's all accomplished. And like Ann said just a moment ago, I understand, particularly in a day when not everyone had a book, why they would associate what they've always heard with what God actually said. And Jesus is saying, listen, my purpose is not to undermine all of this for not the smallest thing will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Sometimes there's great value in reading the Bible hurriedly. Getting a big picture of it. Sometimes there's a value in reading very, very slowly and pondering every word. And I know Tom Holly once told the story, and I haven't asked him exactly where he got it. But he talked to some who had concentration camps, studied the Bible one word at a time. And by that, um, he meant not that they lost sight of the big pictures, they didn't lose sight of the big pictures, but he said they would come to one word and they would say, oh, why did God use this word instead of another word? Why this word right here, this place? Can you see the value of doing that just from Jesus' words? Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke will pass from the law until all is accomplished. He had the utmost respect for Scripture. Now, you may ask, and legitimately so, but why? We don't keep things like the Sabbath day, as I know Lloyd was asking me about recently. We don't keep the Sabbath day exactly like they do. So, so how can you say that Jesus viewed Scripture as authoritative? Well, Jesus also, in this text, emphasizes, Jesus emphasized that He is the fulfillment of Scripture. He is the fulfillment of Scripture. Look again, Matthew 5 and verse um, 30, uh, Matthew 5, verse 17, verse 18. Do not think I come to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. To fulfill. In verse 18, for truly I say to you that until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus came to accomplish the law. Jesus came to fulfill 
the law. Jesus came. Now, the word fulfill, it is used, for example, in Matthew 13, 48, in the parable of the dragnet, they put out their net and they catch all kinds of fish. And in that, the word fulfill means, now this is a great definition, fulfill means to fill Okay, how about that? Uh, it means to fill something up. And that's what Jesus is going to do with the Old Testament. He is going to fulfill it. He's going to keep its precepts. He's going to accomplish its purposes. He's going to fulfill its promises. How did Jesus view Scripture? Jesus viewed Scripture as pointing to himself and as fulfilled in himself. Let's look, look first of all at John 5. John 5. Okay. Verse 39, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness of me. Now look at verses 45 through 47. Taylor, you want to read that? John 5? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses me, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Okay. So in verse 39, you search the Scriptures. This is, this is just a statement. You're, it's not a criticism. You're searching the Scriptures. You're examining them. You're looking for them. You're searching for eternal life, and the way to eternal life is through Him. It is these that bear witness of me. And then he says in verse 46, If you believed Moses, you would have believed me. But again, the point of that is Jesus believes these Scriptures point to Him, have fulfillment in Him, they are accomplished in Him. Now look at another passage. Look at Luke 24. Now we can look at a whole lot of passages. A whole lot of passages. Let's look at another passage in the Gospels. And let's look at one in the Epistles too. I want us to see the same kind of thing in the Epistles in a passage or two. But in the Gospels, look at Luke 24. Verses 25 through 27. And I know this, again, might be a passage that's very familiar to you. But Luke 24, verses 25 through uh, 27. Faith, you want to read that? And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow to heart to believe in what the prophets have spoken. For as Okay, beginning with Moses, 
and all the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning Himself in all the Scripture. Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. And here Jesus explains how He fulfilled the law, Moses, and all the prophets. He fulfills them. The events that have happened there um, in the last few days as Jesus was crucified and raised, they are a fulfillment of all the Scripture. Look down to verse 44. Verse 44 of the same chapter. David, just read that. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Okay, all things written about me, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Okay, look over real quickly at Romans 10, verse 4. Romans 10, verse 4. Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. We've seen that's His view of Scripture. I just want to point out a couple of things in the epistles that show us they point in the same direction. And we could do this with all of these points. But Romans 10, 4. Uh, do you have that one there, Alan? For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Okay, Christ is the end of the law. The word end can be used a couple of ways. It can be used in the sense of purpose or goal. And it can be used as a sense of termination point. This is the end. I think in a certain way, both of those are true of Christ. Christ is the termination point and the purpose to which all the law Pointed. And in 2 Corinthians 3, I'll just explain this passage a little bit. But this is the passage in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 15, where the Bible talks about when you read the Old Testament, it's read with a veil over the heart. When you read Moses, it's read with a veil over the heart. But when you turn to Christ, the veil is taken away. That's not a passage that's discouraging Old Testament study. It's not a passage that's discouraging us from looking at the law. That is telling us if we do not see Jesus as the fulfillment of all of Scripture, we're never going to see the purpose to which the law pointed. We're going to be reading it with a veil over our heart. But when we turn to Christ, the veil was taken away. I, I am in awe of how some Jewish people know their Scripture. But regardless of how well you know what is there, if you do not see Jesus as the fulfillment of them, you're missing the key that ties all of it together. And we need to see Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of all that Scripture points to. Now, let me apply that to a specific, or a couple specifics. What the law says about animal sacrifices. That is That was authoritative for them, and yet it has been fulfilled in Jesus. 
What the law said about priests from the tribe of Levi is authoritative for those Jewish people, but that has received a fulfillment in Christ, the priest after the order of Melchizedek. And like the Sabbath that uh, I was mentioning that Lloyd and I were talking about recently, the Sabbath was tied to the sabbatical year, the Jubilee year, which tied in the idea of uh, forgiveness of debts and a release of slaves. All of those are a picture of what Jesus does. And so in a certain sense, He's fulfilled the Sabbath as well. Um, what questions do you have right, right there? Anything? Let me look at a couple of passages with you uh, that you know well to just see a couple of things that they say to us about Scripture. Um, Luke 10, 25-37. Now when I just say that, some of you know what's going on in Luke 5. Luke 10, verse 25. What, what's going on there? What, what parable does Jesus give there? Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan. Now, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, I want us to focus here not so much on the parable itself, but some of the things that lead to this parable. Um, in verses 25 through uh, 29, uh, Bob, you have that? 25 through 29? Will you read that? Behold, the lawyer stood up and Test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? That is agreed to you. He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Okay, very good. Okay, first of all, the man comes up with a question. His motive isn't good. We're told that in verse 25. He comes up testing Jesus. He said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Is that, is that a good question? That's a great question. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, well, what do you think about that? What do you feel down deep in your heart? What have you always heard? No. No. He says, he says in verse 26, what is written? He, when the man comes with a good question, he points him to Scripture as having the answer. He points him to Scripture as having the answer. What is written in the law how does it read to you? So Jesus pointed people with questions of Scripture. And, and sometimes my, my, my fault is that sometimes when people ask me a quick question, I, I try to give an answer off the top of my head without just zeroing in on the Scripture. And sometimes it's better just to read the Scripture and be quiet. Just let him say what he wants to say. Now, the man answered that question. When Jesus said, what's written in the law? How does it read to you? What does the man say in response to that? Okay, he says to love God, love your neighbor. Was, was that a good answer? It's a great answer. 
You know what that tells us, I think? That tells us we're able to understand Scripture. We're able to understand. Now, if I say I know everything about the Word, none of us do. None of us claim that. But I am saying basically we know what God asks of us. There will always be things that I can't get my arms around in Scripture. Maybe I don't know the whole of Scripture well enough. Jesus told the Sadducees that, didn't he? You don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God. Maybe I just don't grasp who God is well enough. But, but he's able to understand that. And then he says, who is my name? Who is my name? Now, I want to ask you a question. Biblically, is that hard to understand? The Bible says you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Let's suppose you coveted someone's wife and someone quotes that verse to you. So, wait, wait, wait. He's not my neighbor. I covet my wife. I covet his wife. I, he's not my neighbor. What would you think of that kind of interpretation? You would think it's foolish. <coughs> Listen to this, which I thought was very good. This man used his approach to Scripture to limit it and to escape the law's true scope and true meaning. If the law had said, help the poor man who is lying beside the road, half dead, he would have done it. Grudgingly perhaps, but he would have done it. But because it only said, love your neighbor as yourself, he could debate the elusive question, who is my neighbor, and leave the poor man unattended. What I would say to this, there are times that people do not understand Scripture because they don't walk to obey. They don't want to obey. Well, sure, you have to say that. Sometimes <laughs> 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 it's just, it's case. They're, they're, just, they're, just, they're raising a question in a theoretical where they, they, a, a lot of people would rather get you in a religious debate, and they're even willing to debate rather than do what God said. But also, I think you see that the purpose of Scripture is to do it. Is to practice it. Now, what would, in verse 28, after the man had answered, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And then verse 37, after Jesus told the parable, he said the one who showed mercy to him was his neighbor. And Jesus said, then go and do the same. So in verse 28, in verse 37, he said you go and do the same. The purpose of Scripture.
Scripture is that we may practice it. You remember this verse. And I remember hearing this verse a lot when I was growing up. The secret things belong to God. You remember that verse? Deuteronomy 29-29. One thing I do appreciate about Almond Williams is, among other things, he helped me to appreciate the last part of that verse. He said, the secret things belong to God. But he says, read the rest of the verse. The things that are revealed belong to us and our children that we might do them. Not just speculate on them, but do them. That's Deuteronomy 29, 29. Bob, I see your hand. So, um, you may want to leave this till next time due to time constraints. But that, that third one uh, about who's your neighbor, can't that be used against us as well? And say, oh, well, you're just being too legalistic. You're just limiting this down to how, how we do singing. You know, well, you're, you're just saying sing because the word says sing, but you could do all these other things like who else is my neighbor kind of thing that yeah. is bigger than that. Yeah. And so yeah. how do you address that? Okay, okay. You can leave that for next time. Well, I, I, I may need to. I, and I'll tell you, I thought I would be pretty good in time with Tony speaking tonight. You know, I thought surely, uh, you know, surely I would have a lot of time to present. But as I look out there, I see people, people leaving. And uh, so I'm going to tell Tony to let me down. Uh, but but um, yeah, the other passage, uh, you know, and I would rather, I would rather think about that. Uh, I rather think about that, uh, Bob, and, and, and answer. Um, other passage I want to deal with next time is Luke 16 about what it says about Scripture. Luke 16, particularly verses 27 through 31. And they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them. Um, I won't tell you There's nothing I can invent or any other speaker can invent or you can invent that's going to be more likely to convict, to convince, nor to persuade than this book. This book has the power of persuasion. And I tell you, lifetime is process, life is a process of learning. But one of the things that some of this study of Scripture leads me to want to do, I want to try, and I have been trying a little bit, making a more concerted effort lately, to make illustrations, biblical illustrations. Because often, I'm not saying you can't use any outside of that, but how many times does the Bible provide golden illustrations of our subject that can move us in a way better than any kind of story we could tell or any kind of thing we've observed? Guys, I appreciate it. And I appreciate the love for the Word that brings uh, you here and that leads us to search this. And let's have a prayer as we close. Oh Lord, our God, how great you are. You are awesome and mighty. 
You are powerful and glorious. You deserve all worship and praise. Help us to love you and adore you and seek your face. We need you. Help us to walk in your paths and to do what's pleasing in your sight. To surrender to you and your will. In Jesus' name. Well, thank you. Thank you, Gary.